Glad to be here uh, this morning sharing the word with you guys. It's been quite a while. You came on November? I think it was like September, August of last year. So it's great to dig into the word uh, in order to share with all of you this morning. Um, let me just do a quick word of, uh, of prayer, and then we're going to jump into Acts uh, chapter 27. It's a long uh, chapter, and we're going to read the whole thing, um, and uh, we'll hear what God has to say. Lord, um, we just come before you this morning. We calm our hearts. We calm our minds. As I know for me, that, that's a big one because um, it's easy for our minds just to be racing and thinking um, about the worries of this life or the things that we have to get done. Um, Lord, and I pray that we'll just um, dwell in your presence uh, this morning, Lord, that we'll feel you, that we'll hear from you, um, and you'll bring us one step closer um, to understanding you more, Lord. And I just love the, the theme of this series, Lord, Never Forsaken. Um, Lord, because we can often feel uh, alone, even with people all around us, Lord. We can sometimes feel just so alone, um, Lord, but you are there, um, even though oftentimes we don't take the time to look and find you. Lord, so as we read through this chapter, Lord, and um, dig into the life of Paul a little bit, Lord, teach us um, what it means to trust in you uh, and to know that you are right there guiding us through it all. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, Dan, where's Dan? The awesome time of worship this morning. Did you, I love this. I don't know if you chose those songs or not, but, um, I love the one song and how you belt it out too, man. That was amazing. Um, the one song says the, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. And I feel like acts, I, I quickly stole one of your kid's uh, pens. I think Coach, a little uh, pen that he had there, and I, I wrote that down because this chapter, Acts 27, just reckless love of God just seems to line up exactly with Acts chapter 27. And I also, uh, while singing that song, um, thought about the Chronicles of Narnia by, by C.S. Lewis. And um, one of the kids asked about Aslan. And, you know, this great, powerful lion, and he asks, you know, is Aslan safe? And the response was, he's not safe, but he is good. And I feel when you read through the scripture, you you see that about God. You know, this Christian journey that we are on is not safe, but we know that God is good. Um, And we're going to, we're going to see this here. Like God is calling Paul to Rome, and he, he did not take a, a chartered flight or a cruise ship um, or a, you know, a train. It was through the Mediterranean, um, fierce storms, hunger, uh, sleepless nights, and God was calling him there, and this is how he got him there. Um, and it's amazing to see the faith of Paul through this. So let's, let's jump in. Acts chapter 27. Quite a bit of verses, um, 
that we'll read through here, but I think reading the entire story uh, is important. So Acts chapter 27, verse 1, uh, in ESV, and it's going to come up here as well, uh, I tried practicing the names. Um, so if, you're, if you know how to pronounce all of these cities and stuff, and I'm pronouncing them wrong, you can just raise your hand and say, you're wrong. I'm okay with that. All right. Verse 1. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. So, quickly to note here, and I'm just going to pull out a couple things as we read through. You see the word we. So, who is the author of Acts? Luke. So, Luke is on this trip with Paul. um, And we see that because he talks about we. And Paul was with some other prisoners. And what was happening during this time was the Roman Empire was gathering prisoners and bringing them to Rome for sport, to put them in the Colosseum. And so Paul is among these prisoners. He's coming to appeal to Caesar, but he's among people that are most likely going to their death in an arena. And embarking in the ship of Adramitium, is that right? Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Sidon. And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. This is really significant because I think it shows the character of Paul. That Julius, who is overseeing Paul as a prisoner, allows him to go away and be with his friends. Like that's a massive amount of trust. Because if he lost Paul, if Julius lost Paul, Julius would be put to death. But there, there must have just been such trust and character in Paul that he just says, you know, go ahead and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we sailed across the open sea along the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete, off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lacey. Fair Havens? Sounds like that would be a good place to, like, rest and chill a little bit. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. So things were delaying their trip. Um, The distance of this, uh, as I looked at it on a map through um, the Mediterranean, seemed about from like driving from Philadelphia to the tip of uh, Florida, you know, the, the very south tip of Florida. So that's how far they were sailing on water. And their trip was getting delayed. And it was becoming October, November time. And supposedly in the Mediterranean, you don't want to sail uh, in that time. So Paul is saying, let's just winter here and pick up later. But the centurion paid, no attention, paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend winter in, 
the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So all in all, this trip is going to take seven months. Yeah. I, I taught a wedding workshop last weekend at our house, and Carrie locked herself with the kids in our bedroom for two days and went crazy. Could you imagine being on a boat with prisoners for seven months? Pretty tough. Verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind, the um, NIV says like a hurricane force wind, called the Northeaster, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the citrus, should have studied these words more, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. So a seven-month trip, and in the midst of it, a storm, and we don't know exactly how long, but a hurricane-type storm on the sea for many days at a time. And it's interesting here because it seems as if Luke, because he's the writer here, is saying that even his hope was lost. Because he says here, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. There's one man, though, that stands up. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, so even here we have Luke doubting. But Paul stands up and says, men, you have, <laughs> this is great. You should have listened to me. I'm sure they love that. And not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. From there, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For the very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told you. But we must run aground on some island. Um, DJ, you sp spoke on Jonah a little. You did the whole chapter, or the whole book of Jonah in one sermon. That was impressive. It's, this is such a contrast. Jonah was the cause of the storm where Paul is the comfort in the storm. I thought that was an interesting contrast of the two. When the 14th night had come, as we're, okay, there you go. So 14, 14 days of a storm. As we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. And supposedly this is like laying a rope down, and then bringing it back up and trying to measure how, how close they were. A 
little farther on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that they might run onto rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship, ship's boat, and let it go. So all of a sudden, Paul now has authority and people are listening to him. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. So here they are on the ship for months and in the midst of a long storm. They're scared, they're tired, and they're hungry. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Um, very reminiscent of, uh, of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Verse 39. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered that those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. And again, the reason that these soldiers want to kill them all is because, again, if they lose their prisoner, then they're put to death. So much better that they put the prisoner to death and still have them than lose the prisoner and be put to death. So this is the story of Acts chapter 27, Paul's trip to Rome, and it it continues on. This isn't the end of the story. It continues on. Now, Paul was converted to Christ uh, in 35 AD, and it looks like this uh, story here is around 59 AD. So Paul had been a Christian for 24 years up to this point. In one of his letters, he said that he was um, aged an old man by this point. So he's probably in his, uh, this is not to be offense to anybody above this age, this is just what Paul said, but he's probably in his like maybe late 50s, 60s, which still that's young, but maybe this time that was, that was older. And prior to this, so this is 59 AD, four years prior is when he wrote 2 Corinthians. And we're all probably pretty familiar with it, where he says, I have worked, this is 2 Corinthians 11 verse 23. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times. So this is, again, prior to this trip. So add this trip onto it. 
Five times I have received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Now four. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger of my own fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So he's going through all of this, yet his concern is for the church. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. Paul had been through so much for following Jesus. And finally, he lands in Rome, and he's imprisoned. This one, um, he's imprisoned twice in Rome. This was the first imprisonment, and it was a, a house arrest. So Paul goes through all of this, and then even probably so much more that we don't know about. Yet while he's in Rome, not free, a man in chains, he writes Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. So when we look at the context of what this man had been through, and then we read those letters, I look at my life, I look at our lives, and I see when Paul says, do nothing with complaining or arguing, this man had every reason to reject God. Like, God, I'm trying to follow you, and my life is turning out like this. Yet while in Rome, after all of this, he writes Ephesians 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. All of this, and he says, I'm blessed. Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. In context, he's been through all of this, and he says, I rejoice. Philippians 4, one of the most joyful and um, awe-inspiring books of the Bible. Philippians, he writes while he's in jail, after going through all of this, and he says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. This man basically had nothing, yet he says, I am not in need and I'm content. Just think about it for a second. Let's, let's put ourselves in the shoes of Paul. If this was your past, if this was your story, would you look at yourself and say, I'm blessed, I rejoice, I need nothing? Because at times... Um, you know, and we're in the series, Never Forsaken. At times, I think God is to us, Emmanuel, God with us. We feel his presence. We feel him at work. We see him moving. But then there's these other times where Jesus is the guy that was sleeping on the boat in the midst of a storm. And we're like the disciples, freaking out, 
Jesus, do you see what's going on around me? And you're in the boat sleeping. We know he's there, but he's absent, or at least that's what it feels like. Because I, I look around, and, you know, there are times that God is Emmanuel, and his presence is just so strong and so felt. But then there's other times when I look around the world and I look at my life and I'm like, Jesus, I, I know you're real and I know you're true, but it seems like you're asleep. Or you've gone off to like do something else. Like when you look around the world and you see the violence happening in other countries, do you look at things like ISIS or the massacre in Paris, and say, God, you're Emmanuel in that situation? Or do we look at it and just say, it's hopeless. Let's hope our government does something about it. Speaking of which, when you look at our government, do you think God is Emmanuel? When we look at our situation as a country, and some of you might say it's great, 51%, 51%, 50, I don't know, we're like 50-50 split. And some of you might say it's terrible. In four years it'll be great, or three years. When I look at things like Columbine and Florida, the movie theater in Colorado, the World Trade Center, you know, big life events, can we sit there with confidence and say, God, you're Emmanuel, or is it, are you sleeping on the boat while the storm is raging around us? Now, those are big-time things, but what about the small-time things in our own lives? My storm has the ages of seven, six, and three. And I used to be a neat freak, and now I'm just hoping that they'll start cleaning when they're in middle school. But it's, and it's, my dad is staying with us for the week, and dysfunction within your household is magnified when somebody is staying with you for an extended period of time. I can fake it for like three hours that our family is perfect when I invite you all over, but extend that over a week, and you see the junk. And it's, it's magnified. Because <laughs> I can yell at my kids when nobody's around, but then when I do it and somebody's around, I, I feel a little bit worse. But it's a storm. And it's so easy to think. And it's, it's something small compared to what our world goes through or what Paul went through. When I look at it, it's, it's my storm and it's real and God cares about it. But sometimes I feel like, God, you're sleeping. You're asleep on the boat. You might feel that way. I, I don't know what the storm is for you. It might be sickness or disease or work, fighting with family, fighting with your spouse, fighting with your kids, divorce. I don't know. And God doesn't just care about the big storms. He cares about the little ones. And it's easy for me, and I even did it with Oliver this morning, it's easy for me to look at myself complaining or somebody else complaining and saying, People have it so far worse than you do. That's not helpful to somebody going through something. 
God cares about even the little storms that we're going through. And we can feel like David saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. You don't have to say it out loud, but how often do you feel like that? And we can look at Paul and say, well, he's Paul. One of the greatest men to ever live. But Paul was weak and he was sinful just like every single one of us. But there was a difference. And the difference was that he trusted God. He knew that Jesus was not asleep on the boat. He knew that he was Emmanuel, that he was with him. He knew Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. I even wonder... You know, when he wrote books like First and Second Corinthians or Romans, um, if he even looked back on his own words and found comfort. While he's traveling, you know, this distance that's from like Philadelphia down to Miami, is he remembering Second Corinthians when he says, you know, I'm crushed on every side, and I forget exactly how it goes, but like, anybody know that one? Like perplexed but not abandoned? Struck down, but yeah. I wonder if he's like reciting that in his own head. Way back when uh, Abby was two and Oliver was just a couple months old, we took a trip from Philadelphia to South Carolina and it was the longest 11 hours of my life. (laughs) Oliver started screaming and Abby started screaming and it should have taken seven hours, eight hours. It took 11 Mainly because we just had to get out of the car. At one point, my window was down, and I'm literally driving. Like, I'd rather hear the wind than hear what's going on behind me. I want, I want a, like, a police car with that, like, you know, the, the soundproof window. You should have those in all minivans and SUVs. <laughs> well, oh, I'm sorry. I can't. I see your mouth open, but I don't hear anything. So I can't imagine, like, That, multiply that by seven months and a 14-day storm and hunger and prisoners and all of that sort of stuff, yet Paul stands up and he did not put himself into this situation. God put him there. This was not a reprove like Jonah. Yet he can stand up and say, take heart. He knew what it was like to trust God, but he's exactly like us. We have access to the same God that Paul had access to. It was in his weakness that God was strong. And the difference is, in that Philippians verse that I read about him being content, a couple verses later he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yet I go through these situations, and I'm sure you do too, and you're like trying in your own strength. If I could only get a little more sleep, or if I could get a nap, or if I could just get some time alone or some quiet, or if I, once I have my coffee, we think that will be my strength, but it never works out. When, 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 it's like, no, here, God is here. He's with us. 
He is Emmanuel. He has not forsaken us. In the midst of the storm, we need to remember that as hard as it may be. And right now, it might be like in Acts chapter 27 when they started off, or kind of in the middle, there was some smooth sailing. Right now, you might be smooth sailing, but the storms come. And we need to remember that he is Emmanuel. He is with us. He has not forgotten us. We are not forsaken. So I want you to close your eyes. Um, I just, I want to leave you guys with that. I, I was thinking I could go further this morning, but I, I really feel like that's just enough to dwell on. Just, just remember, in that moment, sorry, you can open your eyes because I'm going to talk for one more second. In that moment, as hard as it is, when the chaos and the storm is happening all around, I love how, um, oh, who wrote the, uh, the celebration of discipline? Foster. Uh, within there, he talks about we always have the, the quiet sanctuary of the heart. Even in the midst of the chaos, we always have the quiet sanctuary of the heart. Right? Jesus is inside of us. There's no longer that veil. He's, he's right here. And in the midst of that storm, just to quiet ourselves and go, God, this is crazy. But I know you're Emmanuel. You have not forsaken me in this moment. Let me see you. Let me feel you. Let me hear you. So I, I think that's enough for us today as, as we go off, just to remember when that storm comes or when we're in the midst of it, just to stop and just say, you're Emmanuel. You're with me. So now we can, we can close our eyes. And I just want to read um, four verses. They're all separate. And I just want you right now in in the quiet of the room just to picture Jesus sitting right beside you with his arm around you. Psalm 73, verse 28. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I might tell of all of your works. Dwell on this. The nearness of God is my good. He's right there. Psalm 34. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Maybe you're in here this morning and that verse speaks to you. Psalm 34 says he's near to you. He's not asleep on the boat. Jeremiah 23, 23. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God who is far off? And then Acts 17. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. I'm just going to read Deuteronomy 31.8 one more time. It is the Lord who goes before you. 
he will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Lord, um, I believe it's uh, David Crowder that sings, You're Closer Than My Skin. Lord, yet many times we, we turn the other way. Lord, you're right there. Yet we choose our own strength. We choose our own path. We choose our own plan. And you're patient. It's crazy to think that you let us make bad choices over and over and over again when the best choice we can make is you. Lord, but you give us the freedom to see the emptiness in sin, to see the emptiness in our own strength. Lord, and as um, Acts 17 says, is you did this that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. Lord, you're, you're our strength. Lord, you have not forsaken us. You have not left us. You are right there, waiting, patiently waiting, with your arms open wide. Lord, and coming to you does not guarantee that the storms will stop or that the storms won't be there. Lord, we see that with Paul. He led a life so closely following you, Lord, and it's not a life that I think any of us would want to sign up for. Lord, but in the midst of it, he found you and he depended on you and he said that in his weakness, you were strong. Lord, and most of us will never even come close to living a life like that, Lord, but it doesn't mean that our storms aren't real and that these storms don't hurt. Lord, and in the midst of it, whether they're large or small, Lord, let us just take that quiet time and just say, Lord, I know you're near. I know you have not forsaken me. Lord, give me the strength, your strength, to do what I need to do in this situation. Let us become God-dependent and not self-dependent. Lord, so as we go, I just hope that you impress on our minds, Lord, the nearness of you. As... um, one of my favorite artists sing, they say, the nearness, be near, O God, be near, O God, the nearness of you is my good, just like the psalm says. Lord, be near us this morning. Lord, we thank you so much that you do not give up on us. You pursue, you are relentless in your pursuit. Psalm 23, surely goodness and love will pursue me all of the days of my life. Lord, it's not us running after you like we got to catch you, Lord. You're, you're tracking us down. We just got to turn around and just be consumed by you, Lord. And it's going to be the best place we can be. Give us the strength, Lord. Please give us the strength, especially people in this room that are going through difficulty, Lord. Give them the strength. You have not forsaken them. You love them. You love all of us. Lord, I thank you for your gentleness, your patience, and your care for your children. You are so good. In your son's name we pray, amen.